On today's show, we've got former MTV VJ, host of BET's Teen Summit, and a correspondent from The Insider. Please welcome Ananda Lewis. Hey, Mike Brand. I haven't seen Mike Brand in 20 years. Can you believe that? Oh my God. What are we about to talk about, Mike? Welcome to the Mike Grant Show. And today's special guest is a former MTV VJ. She had her own talk show. She was the host of BET's Teen Summit and a correspondent for The Insider. Please welcome Ananda Lewis. Hey, Ananda, how are you? Mike, I'm good. How are you? Good. It's so nice to see you again after all these years. <laughs> I know. When did we take that picture? We took that picture when you had your talk show. So what year was that? Was that 2001? Literally 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. So 20 years. And you know what? It's so funny. A lot of people now, 20 years later, I'm meeting too, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> so it's, it's great yeah, to have it's you here to get today. to people these days. I I'm sorry. What did you say? It's easier to get to people these days than it, it used is. to be. And just so the fans know, we're having a little bit of audio problem, me and Ananda today. So if we're talking over each other and we can hopefully in the playback, you guys are seeing this. Okay. But yeah. I might not be able to hear her. She hears me fine, but I hear you. We're fine. gonna muddle through this together. <laughs> Darn zooms. Yes. So the first thing I want to say is I'm so happy to have you here because I've really admired your work over the years. You're a great talk show host, TV personality, correspondent, and I've enjoyed watching you over the years. And you really do. And the reason is you really do such a great job. And I'm not saying everyone. Everybody else is not doing good either. I'm just saying Ananda right, is phenomenal right. at what she does. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to know, Ananda, because you make it seem effortless. Like you are so comfortable in front of the camera. And we know it's a lot of hard work. But when you go in front of the camera, it seems like it's nothing. Like you got that <laughs> X factor about you, that great personality. I oh. want to know, my first question for you is, what is your secret to making it look so easy? I, you know what? I don't. I didn't know it looked so easy. You know, most of the TV I've ever done is live TV. And maybe that has something to do with it where you know you don't have a second chance. That's it. Whatever you say, however you say it, whatever comes out your mouth, that's for the record. That's what's going to stay. So maybe I, I was just, it's paranoia. <laughs> Try not to like say the wrong thing. I can't edit this out. Back then, I mean, literally all we did was live TV most of the time. So it just... I don't even know. I, I, I wish I had the secret because I could sell it if I knew it, you know, but I just have, I had a speech impediment till I was eight and my mom was smart enough to put me in speech therapy. I went through about three years of speech therapy. And um, after that, I could just speak. I still stumble on my tongue every now and then when I rush, I had a lisp. So my tongue was like too big for my mouth and got in the way all the time. I would say wabbit and tweeze and three grips. And, you know, my tongue was just always like, Ugh. so once I trained it to stay behind my teeth and I could make S's and R's and T's without sounding weird, um, I just didn't shut up. So maybe a combination of being able to talk finally and not wanting to stop talking <laughs> and the way my brain works, I just like, it's always going. I don't know. 
Now, the first thing you did, you have an interesting backstory because you actually didn't seek out a career in the entertainment industry. You were actually, you went to college and yes. you were thinking about going to get a master's in education, correct? Yeah, I was going to be a teacher, actually. I was applying for Teach for America when the Teen Summit job came up. So that's true. I mean, I'd always knew, I'd always kind of seen entertainment as, well, not even the category of entertainment, I guess just doing things on camera is what I thought of it. I didn't look at it as a big category of entertainment, but I went to a performing arts school, SCPA in San Diego, an amazing school with phenomenal teachers that just changed my life and allowed me to stay free and, and be myself, you know what I mean? Um, which is really important for a young person always. And I think because of that experience, I didn't really look at the entertainment business as something that I wanted to do because I felt like I'd done it. I'd been on stage, I'd done plays, I'd done stuff, you know what I mean? And I kind of got that out of my system, but I had that background to pull from to be able to do whatever I wanted with it, right? So I think it just, it was kind of a natural progression that although I didn't seek out, made a lot of sense for me and I was able to do it because I had this experience already and I didn't have like stage fright. I mean, I, I did have stage fright, but not stage fright that stopped me. You know, I would get nervous every single time I walked out on the stage, but it was manageable because I was used to it and I knew how to, to deal with it. And I had little exercises and techniques I would do to calm down. So there was nothing that stopped me from doing it. And it was just kind of like second nature, you know, it was talking and I like people and talking about interesting stuff. I, I could do that with my eyes closed. And I heard that the audition for Teen Summit, that you actually heard it from the kids that you were mentoring at the time. Is that true? <laughs> well, I didn't hear about the audition from them, but they were the ones who forced me, kind of like guilt trip me <laughs> into going to do it because, you know, I, I, I had this audition. I was applying for Teach for America. I really did need a job and Teach for America was a process. I was just getting my application in and my summer program with these young people was ending and the Teen Summit opportunity came up and I was like, I don't know you guys, TV, you know, I hadn't really ever done TV like that. And it was a little intimidating because I just wasn't clear on what it was. They knew what it was, but I didn't have cable through college. I was a college student, like broke. I wasn't paying cable bills. I did not know what Teen Summit was. I didn't have an understanding. And I was like, listen, I don't even know if this is something I want to do. And they were like, please. And then they said, listen, you've been telling us all summer that life brings you opportunities and your job is to go after them and explore what's possible and not limit yourself. So you have to go to the, like it came into your life. So now you have to go. Cause if not, you a hypocrite. And I was like, dang, smart little, little Terrence. And they were right. If I hadn't gone for it, everything I told them all summer and everything I was encouraging them to do and be open to in their own lives would be like hypocrisy, right? So I went and I got it. <laughs> so I was happy I went. <laughs> and with Teen Summit, you got to talk about a variety of topics, got to meet some people as well. One of the people that you got to meet at that time was first lady at the time, Hillary Clinton. So yeah. what did you think about, you know, coming from just somebody at college that was going to go in a different direction career-wise, and then one or two years later, maybe interviewing the first lady of the United States. How did that feel for you? <laughs> well, I was a history major in school. Didn't do anything with entertainment, right? So um, for me, from that perspective, just as a history major, I was like, this is massive. This is the first lady of the United States. But on, the, on a human level, I think the reason I've always had success interviewing 
whoever, you know, from, from someone who's not known by anybody to someone who's known by the whole world is because I really do see the humanness in all people. And in that sense, I really think we're all the same. I don't see a hierarchy amongst human beings. Um, I know we do that to ourselves. I think that's a lot of ego, but I don't personally pedestalize people. So I didn't, it was like, you could be, you know, and, and you could be anybody. <laughs> you just happen to be Hillary Clinton. You know what I mean? And, and so in that sense, you're, you're a regular person. But I remember kind of the, the stress excitement of even getting her on our show. And then everybody else is like, <gasps> and so that's contagious, you know, as human beings, you're gonna start acting like the people you're around. I don't care what you do to try to prevent it. It's gonna happen. So be careful who you hang with, right? And so everybody else was getting stressed out. So I was like, oh my God, I'm stressed out too. <laughs> Cause it's contagious. So at some point I did get like, oh my gosh, <gasps> oh my gosh, it's Hillary Clinton. And then right before we, you know, walked out to interview, I was like, calm down, it's just Hillary Clinton. No big deal. <laughs> and it was a cool, easy, I remember um, tripping on my words a little bit because, you know, the energy was all in the room. The Secret Service came and checked out the, the set and like walked around and made sure everything was safe. And I was like, this is a big freaking deal. So I would vacillate between like, ah, it's no big deal to like, oh my God, you know? And by the time I got out to stage the interviewer, I was calm and it was, it was fine. It was a great interview. We had a good time. She was so gracious and answered everything. And, you know, it was awesome because she's a human being. <laughs> and then after working on MTV's, uh, I'm sorry, after working on BET's Teen Summit, MTV, actually reached out to you and offered you a position as an MTV VJ. So what well, they was offered that me like? an audition and, and the audition got me the position. Yeah. They were like, we need someone. Um, we need a woman. Cause they were male saturated at the time with VJs. Uh, they needed uh, someone, they wanted someone Brown, right. They wanted to get a little color in there. And they needed someone who could do live because they were thinking of, and I didn't know this at the time, but they were, the plan was to launch the Times Square Studios. That was all live. And so they needed someone who could handle that and not have to do take after take after take to get it right. And I mean, we just talked about that. So I'm your girl when you want somebody who can just keep talking. You want me to just keep talking? <laughs> because I keep talking. And I went to the audition. I took the train up to New York from DC. Um, I cut my own reel and I actually put it to Housequake by Prince. <laughs> don't know why um and it it was just again like the teen summit audition I feel like I've had so much support from God and the divine and you know I even believe ancestors and angels and all the the spiritual help I have on the other side right they I feel like I'm constantly being helped and guided and like protected and and benefited and I feel like these were some of those times too, even though I didn't recognize it as much back then, I just felt like, oh, this is happening beautifully. Everything's just, just unfolding perfectly. And for me, when, it, when things just unfold perfectly, when you look at the amount of stuff that could go wrong in the world, for everything to be going right, to me says something. To me, it says that there is some other help, right? And, and that it's, it's being given to me. And I'm super grateful for that. And then I was like, oh, this is, this is just all coming together. Um, the audition went perfectly, just like the Teen Summit audition was really smooth. I felt comfortable. I was just sitting there being myself and talking and they were like, this is great. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> being myself and talking. And so it was one of those great opportunities where literally who you are just lines up with what's there for you, right? And it just matches and it just works. 
And that's what it is. I mean, I, I almost feel like I can't take a lot of the credit for that, but I guess, I mean, I did my part. I was, I showed up, I was being myself and, um, and, and not letting things intimidate me. Right. Because this, the prompter and the people behind the camera and someone's in your ear and all of that, all of that stuff was new for me with the TV, um, like journey. Right. Because I, I didn't have, I never wore an IFB before where someone's talking in my ear the whole time while I'm trying to interview somebody who's sitting next to me and someone's behind the camera going, here's what you toss to. And there's a big card and there's a teleprompter. Like there's 30 things to look at. There's a hundred things to manage in your brain to keep them separate. And then to not let this person know you're distracted because you want to let them feel like you're paying attention to what they're saying, right? You're interviewing them. And then not let the viewer realize that you're juggling all this stuff. So, I mean, I guess what you said, making it easy, it really isn't as easy as it looks, but for me, it was all very, very like natural. It was really easy to do. And maybe that's because I'd been doing a lot of youth work. I'd manage rowdy kids, you know, all at once and could sit there and be like, boop, 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 and could deal with a lot of things at once. So that part of my personality really served me as well. Now on your time at MTV, you hosted several shows. You, you hosted TRL, you hosted Hot Zone. You hosted a series of specials and actually yeah. one of the specials um, won you an NAACP Image Award, correct? I believe. Oh yeah, the Driving While Black. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you did a lot of work with MTV and like we were talking about the live crowds. So MTV at that time, there were huge live crowds in studio outside of Times Square. I mean, there were certain events like let's say Backstreet Boys and NSYNC come into Times Square, shut down Times Crazy. Square. It oh. was insane saying the amount of people. Can you tell us what those crowds were like that you saw? Have you ever seen anything like that in your life? The biggest crowd I've ever been in the middle of was at Woodstock 99 with MTV. Second to that, every time we did TRL, <laughs> especially the NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys and all the boy bands that brought all the girls and all their friends out. Um, but also like when Snoop and Dre drove through Times Square in the Hoopty, um, I remember Whitney Houston TV that I hosted and interviewed her. Like that was a massive crowd. Um, Mariah Carey, every time she came, like I, you know, you think of the time and you think of the level of um, celebrities, you know, at the time. And when MTV launched the Times Square Studios, we became the only place to be, to go live, directly to your fans. I mean, it was a completely different time. Now we all go live on IG whenever we want, right? But this was something special. It was like the beginning of all of this live, the beginning of all this reality TV, like watching people's lives. It was the beginning of that. And we had every single, the, the biggest stars you could think of wanting to be there in the studios with us to do that. And it was so special. Um, I mean, at the time, I'm, I'm sure you never realize how special something is in the moment, right? You're not really supposed to, you're kind of focused on the experience, but looking back, you get the real gist of it. And now when I look back, I go, oh my gosh, what a massive, amazing opportunity and, and piece of history to be, you know, forever tied to now uh, with, with launching the Times Square Studios with MTV and, and being a part of that whole kind of five, six year window of, of magic. You know, and I feel like when I left, I'm not took the magic with me, no. <laughs> but it definitely changed, you know, I mean, things always shift and change, but I caught it at this really magical period. And it's so cool to have been a part of all of that and be like, you know, one of the pivotal people hosting it all. Cause like you said, I did almost every single, until they, ho until they hired 
uh, more VJs when the wannabe a VJ contest kind of started and we, we actually brought new people in. It was just me, Carson, Matt Pinfield. Um, we had Toby for a while. Uh, we had Dave Holmes for a while. We had a few people come in and out, TJ Holmes. We had a, a few people in and out, um, not TJ Holmes, what was his name? Anyway, we had a bunch of people in and out. That's why it's hard to remember everybody because they were all you know, in and out. But the staples were me and Carson and Matt. And then our news team too, right? But they weren't VJs. So we, <laughs> I, I can't remember not hosting. I mean, literally all the spring breaks, all the summer breaks, all that special programming we would do going live from wherever Palms, I mean, um, not Palm Springs, the Bahamas or San Diego or all the places we went, Big Bear for the winter breaks and stuff. I mean, literally, you remember all the programming we did. It was all the time. And yeah. me and Carson were mainly hosting everything. <laughs> it was yeah. nuts. And, and you had mentioned a show um, that I went to a couple times where I don't want to knock the people who did not choose me to permanently be a VJ, even though <laughs> oh, I, I introduced some TRL videos and talked to Carson nice. up there. But want to be a VJ contest. I did go each year. I, I did go on some other shows. You can't see this, but. Oh, look at fanatic. that. I got fanatic. my fanatic shirt. Look at you. Fanatic. Just for the occasion. Boiling points. So I, I was on some MTV stuff too there. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, I mean, that us, makes sense. Cause that was what was, that's that, what that you was the shifting, wanted to do. Yeah. The shifting in programming. Um, yeah. Can you tell us what it was like, um, the turnouts and those, want to be a VJ events, how big they were and, and what kind of people you saw during those auditions. Those lines, I mean, we talk about a New York block, those lines wrapped around like three of them. It was insane. And it was, you know, the first time we'd ever done anything like that. So I don't, I don't remember having any expectation of what it was going to be like. It was just like, show up and find out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, literally the lines wrapped around the block and people constantly just coming in. It was very organized though. From what I remember, you would come in, there was like one place you do this one thing on camera and then you go to the next thing and it's kind of like rounds and you get eliminated from rounds and then you keep, you know, you get as far as you could get. And then I believe the first year, wasn't that the year Jesse Holmes won? Yes, first year was Jesse, yeah, then first Thalia, one. then- And then Raymond Thalia, won. right? Um, Thalia DaCosta. And then uh, who won after her? Was that Raymond Munns. Okay, I must've been gone by then. So yeah, I was probably gone by then. So I, I definitely worked with Thalia and Jesse, and, and we had some great like runners up that didn't necessarily win the contest, but still got to work, you know? And so it was a great opportunity to let just like regular folks or people who may never be discovered otherwise and never get to you know live their dream if that's what it was of, of being um, a VJ, to let them get in there and really see what it's like, right? Because like you said, it's a lot harder than it looks. And I think they got to learn that too, not just in like presenting to the camera, but how hard you work. Like we work hard. Uh oh, oh I, I got you camera? back now. <laughs> oh, good, okay. That's because of my battery. Let me just pull this over here and plug it okay. in. So I know it's fall off here. I think I have like 10. So, yeah, it, it was a really good opportunity for them to see how hard it really was to do the work, not just the on-camera part, but the, the kind of giving up your life part. You, you were just working. <laughs> I remember spending up until Christmas Eve, you know, working and then trying to run home and make it home for Christmas. So it was, it was full-time nonstop. And when something would come up, you know, you, we, like me and Carson probably get called first, but 
people had to come in and do work. And then, you know, there's tons of, tons of shows on MTV. So for the beginning of when I was there, I was doing hot, well, not hot zone yet. I was doing MTV live, which turned into TRL. I was doing um, eventually hot zone. I was doing the music video countdown live every day. I was doing um, two other shows that I, they were just like interstitial, like jump-ins, right? Hop into videos, like because videos obviously used to air all day on MTV. So it was just nonstop. And the VJs, the wannabe VJs that that got in really got to see what that was like. And I don't know if they was ready for it. <laughs> it's like, what, this is what y'all do? Yeah, it's what we do. <laughs> y'all ready or yep. not? And now I want to know what was out of all the music videos during that time. And I do want to do a little side plug for myself. I actually, here's a little fun fact. I was in Jesse Camp's music video. Were you? Next to Run the DMC. Next to Run DMC. I was standing next to him in the music video. Oh, that must have been amazing. So that was fun. So I was in Jesse's video. Um, but what was <laughs> your favorite music video of that time and at that era? Oh gosh, definitely can't pick one of those. There, that level of, the level of creativity that existed in like from 96 to 2001, that window, off the charts. I mean, you had everybody from Biggie, um, Busta was putting out his stuff then, put your hands where my eyes can see, like totally flipping hip hop on its ear with his like crazy energy and visuals. I mean, he was, and still is, one of the most prolific hip hop artists we've ever had. Um, we had, you know, Michael Jackson was still putting out videos, Prince was putting, everybody, everybody was Destiny's Child was dropping stuff on you. I mean, Chumbawamba, right? Alanis Morissette, this is when she was walking around naked in, in, the, in, the, in the streets, <laughs> you know, with you ought to know. I mean, there, is two, there were, it was mind blowing the level of creativity. Yeah, the creativity that was, was amazing. Being expressed. Yeah. And so I really do think it's shifted now. Like now we see a lot of repeating of that creativity. And there are some people who are doing really fresh kind of different stuff. But I mean, I guess everything gets recycled, right? Even back then, some of that was recycled from the rock and roll days and all that stuff. So it is what it is. But I really cannot pick a favorite. I mean, I just can't. <laughs> because okay there's no way fair enough there were too many there were there really were so there's many too great much. Ones in that era yeah and I literally tossed to all of them and you know when we tossed we didn't sit there and actually watch them in the studio um sometimes they were thrown in later you know and the live ones they they would pop them up right there but I mean uh, it's mind-blowing the variety and then you look at the genres of, of different music that we would have in rotation even during like the countdown on TRL like the variety of from pop to hip hop to country to to everything. So then even within that, you get even more variety in the visuals. It, it's just impossible to choose. Did, did you have a favorite guest to interview at MTV? Elmo. Because <laughs> I was a huge Elmo fan. I love Elmo. And when I walked in the studio, I swear I felt like I was four years old all over again. I was like, oh my God, it's tolerant. Oh, and it didn't matter to me that there was this man under the couch with his hand up Elmo's ass, right? It didn't matter. <laughs> it was Elmo. That was like, almost had me in tears. Elmo almost had me in tears. I was like, hang on. But I mean, the greats too, you know, Whitney Houston, that special was amazing. Every time I got to hang out with Aaliyah, amazing. But you, you feel that in hindsight, when you lose people, then you recognize how 
much more amazing and important and valuable the moments with them were. And so I would say definitely the people that we've lost that I got to interact with and interview. I mean, right now with this recent loss of DMX and I interviewed him right before he went on stage at Woodstock and just his energy and all that. We, we really do take people for granted, but I think that is how it's supposed to be. And that's a weird thing for people to hear me say, I'm sure, but in the moment, you're in the moment. In hindsight, you're in a moment of appreciation. In the moment, you're experiencing it. You know what I mean? And, and that's where you should be. We should be aware and present and right here, right now, right? Be here now. And when you do that, you don't get so caught up in how great somebody is from a distance in hindsight because your perspective is right now. You should be, we should be, and you should be, I wanna be caught up in how fantastic someone is right then. Right. And so then you get to appreciate the moment. You get to really fully experience it. And you're not distracted with, am I going to remember this? Oh, how amazing are they? You're not thinking, you're feeling. Right. And, and that's really how I like to live. Like in those moments, I was feeling and in those moments. And so even as I speak about those, those experiences, some of them are fuzzy in my head because I was in the moment. I wasn't trying to log it as a memory. Right. I wasn't trying to be like, oh, I hope I remember this in 20 years. I was in the moment going, this is amazing. Right. Let me maximize this time with this person, whoever it is, Prince, Aaliyah, Whitney, whoever we've lost. Right. We always look back and go, oh, man, I wish I had another moment. But when you maximize the moment, you really get to appreciate the time you have and, and you live with less regret like that. Right. You might also live with less recollection. Yeah. <laughs> and, and back then there, there was no social media. Like now people, they have to capture everything on social media, post it the second it's done. We yeah. didn't do that back then. No. And you miss the moment when you do that exactly. because you're on your phone trying to catch it instead of experience. I ex actually had that experience last week when I went live trying to save this mama duck and her five chicks. And I was like, had my phone in my hand and I was, you know, still paying attention, but I definitely recognized the bit of disconnect that happened with having to pay attention to the phone and the ducks, right? I'm like, why don't I just pay attention to the ducks? And so what has happened to us as a society, at least the people who are, you know, on the social media is that we're splitting our attention now. So obviously, right? We're trying to catch it and let people see it and have it for posterity, whatever, and have it for the recollection, but we're missing being fully in the moment. And I, I'm on both sides of it because I do want to capture moments. I do want to be able to share them. Now that we have this opportunity to, we want to definitely take that opportunity. I don't want to miss it. This is a, an amazing time in human history where we can do this, right? When could we do this before? And we also want to be able to be fully aware of the moment and pay attention. I mean, you have the, the ends of the, the spectrum, right? People are so caught up in trying to catch the moment of them driving they crash and now you got a live accident <laughs> you know yeah. that your insurance is definitely gonna be interested in saying to see whose fault that was but you also don't want to be so just tunnel vision right there and that's all you see that you're not aware of the potential to share it with people like we're really connected now because of social media in ways that we never have been I mean Mike how would you have found me otherwise right? Exactly. You DM me. And that's how people are connecting. And so there, there, there is a balance, I think, that can be struck that's healthy, where we're not just completely unaware of, you know, anything other than our phones. And we're still able to be in the moment enough that we appreciate the time that we're actually living in 
right now. So I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I strike it. Sometimes I miss it, but we're human. So we just keep trying. Now, one of the people that did realize at the time that you were fantastic were the people at People Magazine, because they also chose you to, as one of the most 50 beautiful people in the world in 2000. Yeah, back then, back then. <laughs> that was fun. That was a surprise. And I was like, what? A little intimidating in that photo shoot. I was like, but is it a cute picture? And so I don't know. That was, I see the politics and all of that too. Like, you know, who makes the list, who doesn't. And I'm sure there was some influence there, but I was, I was flattered and my mom was super excited. <laughs> <laughs> my grandma was really excited too because she loves people mag or loved people magazine especially back then she was you know had a subscription for as long as I can remember so for me to end up in it she was like oh my god <laughs> that was really fun but you know it's it's all relative beauty is yep. so subjective and so fleeting and so temporary and so in the eye of the beholder that you can only give it so much you know credence or weight I, I didn't feel depressed the following year when I didn't make the list. You know what I'm saying? I was like, well, that was cool to do one time. <laughs> <laughs> and now because of all your popularity at MTV, at BET, you got noticed and got your own talk show, the Ananda Lewis show. So can you tell us what mm -hmm. that experience was like? Honestly, that was a train wreck. And it was one I did not enjoy very much. I had so much fun in MTV that I think it was like, you know, it, it killed my buzz. <laughs> like, stop killing my buzz. I was high off of MTV stuff. This was fun. And then all of a sudden, talk show was like, this is no longer any fun. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely an experience. And I was grateful for the opportunity to kind of expand um, my, I think what has kind of ultimately become my mission to help people and to speak to people and to use my voice for something bigger than myself. But I don't know that I really got to do that as effectively as I would have liked to. I, what I did learn was the game of talk shows, right? And I hadn't experienced that to that point, so I couldn't have known it. But I didn't know that, like, even as the host with your name on it, what you want doesn't matter. It was, it, it was interesting because it was a crash course in the politics of television. And I'd been in TV for so long that you think I would have known that, but I didn't because every kind of television is different. And when I was just doing being talent at MTV, I was actually a producer at Teen Summit as well. So I, I was doing a lot of that back behind the scenes work as well and learning. But by the time I got to MTV, they were, you know, they hired me as a VJ. I was talent. I just showed up. I did my job. I did it well. I, and that was it. And then all of a sudden now there's this talk show with my name on it and the pressure for it to really reflect me and for me to really feel good about what was being shown and how I was being portrayed and how my name was being used and all of that got overwhelming because I couldn't control it all. And, and contractually, I, I didn't have a lot of say in a lot of what happened. So things were happening that I was really upset about and things were happening that I really didn't approve of and agree with. And so that created uh, an experience for me where I felt trapped and like, oh my gosh, like they're using my name and the basically the brand that I built, right? The Ananda Lewis brand, which who even knew back then it was a brand because I didn't look at it like that. But now I can look back and, and see that and go, oh, okay. Well, if that's the case, here's what I would do with it. And I couldn't do any of that, right? So I think, again, live and learn. 
I, I'm grateful for the experience because now I know that I, I did that, right? I know I don't have to repeat that. I'm like, okay, that's not for me, but it was cool. Um, I got a lot accomplished. Uh, we helped a lot of people and I made it. You know, we did 186 episodes or something crazy like that in eight months. And so I worked so hard. I think part of the problem is I really didn't get a, any breaks and I was going nonstop and I was exhausted and I was dealing with like, uh, heartbreak trauma and stuff going on in my family. It was like so many things going on behind the scenes that I was dealing with that were emotionally traumatizing and like a lot to deal with that I just feel like I was probably too young for that experience. At that time, I was only 26 or 27. And looking back now and looking at 26 and 27 year olds, mm -mm, that's not, that's not for you. <laughs> well, it wasn't for me. Wow, that was for you. But I was too young. I didn't have the kind of experience and I didn't have the kind of um, team that I would build now if I were to repeat that, which I wouldn't repeat. But if, if it was a fifth, I wouldn't be able to talk right now. But if I was going to repeat that, I would do it totally differently. So lesson learned. And I think other people liked it. And that's fantastic. I think we gave um, good TV for, for what we last a year after 9-11 or something like that. And, and then it was time to go. I was done. I was done way before 9-11. <laughs> and then you did move on a couple years later. You were a correspondent for the Entertainment Tonight spinoff, The Insider. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was interesting too. I think what I'm learning about myself, maybe what I've already known, but or always known, is that I'm not good with authority. I don't do well being told what to do by certain people. Um, yeah, I I want to be able to be myself at all times, and within being myself, not just like being myself, this personality, but being myself in terms of my ideals as a human being, my my um, you know my own morals and the way that I like to do things. And I just think gossip TV definitely wasn't for me. I met some fantastic people. I really did have a good time working for The Insider. It's a, a wonderful group of people that, that run that show. Um, and I feel like I didn't fit well as a correspondent. Like I knew a lot of people and so I could get interviews and make it happen, but I didn't enjoy digging into people's lives and being nosy. I do that not on TV. Like <laughs> in my own life, I am pretty nosy, <laughs> but I don't want to do that. I don't want to like portray that and encourage that. I don't believe we should be gossiping about each other. I don't believe that we should be digging into the lives of people just because they're well-known. It doesn't mean they're not human and that they don't feel pain and that it's okay to say certain things to them and be disrespectful. I, I, I don't get down like that. So for me, it was a very difficult job because I was trying to balance a lot of what I was feeling in terms of not wanting to ask certain questions or you know, come off a certain way to people who I was cool with. And it was just very difficult for me. So that didn't last long either. I mean, I did some good stuff with them, but then I shifted into radio. And like, before I even came back to do The Insider, I went home to take care of my grandmother for the last few years of her life when I left the talk show. And to me, that and motherhood have been my like absolute best usage of my time on the planet, right? Um, Teen Summit was an amazing show. I would put that on that list as well. MTV was an amazing opportunity and, and a great show and bringing people happiness and relief from the stress of the life and all that. I'm cool with that. Um, and so really the things where I feel like I've been in service to people or um, really able to create an environment of care for them 
are, are the things that I feel the best about. And so that experience with my grandma, that two years, I would say was the most profound two years of my life. And just being able to pour back into her because she gave up so much to raise myself and my sister um, that it was amazing to be able to give back to her and, and say thank you in a really profound way. So yeah, I had to get back to work after that, but I did it begrudgingly. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have taken jobs that I took. Like I probably wouldn't have done the mole if I, if I wasn't in the middle of taking care of my grandma and really was like, I really need more money for this. This is a very expensive undertaking. I had no idea. So let me go make a little more money and come back. And you know, like those kind of things are cool, but just not really me and are probably not things I would repeat, but I'm grateful they were there when I needed them for my own needs. Right. And they were, they were cool. They're, they're a part of my history now. Yeah, and unfortunately, you were you were the first guest kicked out of Celebrity Mole Yucatan. On purpose. I had to get out of there. Like I said, I was taking care of my grandma and I had left her at home alone for, it was already like a week. I was like, let me go ahead and go. So I wasn't trying that hard. I'm not saying I rigged it. I'm just saying I wasn't trying that hard because I was like, I have to get back to San Diego. So you did leave TV. You did leave TV for a while and you became a carpenter, correct? Yes, I went and got my AS in carpentry in 2010 from LA Trade Tech. So amazing. That, that's what I love. I mean, that's my love. If I was to just have to do anything all day, it would be construction. And you, you did um, for a little yes. bit host a time, uh, show on TLC, correct? I do specials and stuff for TLC. Yeah, I did a renovation show with them. Um, the show while you were out came back and I hosted it. That was so much fun. And, and more recently, I did their show Unexpected, the reunion show for Unexpected, the tell all. And that was fun too. That really puts me more in the energy of Teen Summit where I've been like the most comfortable, like that's my lane. Um, so that really worked out. And TLC is a great network to work for. They have a lot of really interesting programming and do some fun stuff with it. So that was cool. I guess I'm, I'm, um, I'm pickier than I probably should be, but, but I'm really just trying to figure my own thing out. I released an app um, that's kind of like my own mini platform uh, to be able to just share the kind of stuff that I want to do. That's fun to do. That's, you know, a balance of fun and still helpful. And a lot of the health stuff is in there because of all the health stuff I've been through. And I feel like I want to share stuff, but I want it to be the right stuff, right? I want it to be a good reflection of me. I want it to be helpful for other people um, and beneficial. I think if we all just start helping each other more, we could really get out of some of these crazy situations we're in as human beings, you know? Yep. And you did share something with your fans and followers um, to help them as well recently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, the breast cancer stuff. Yeah. In October of, uh, I guess, 2020, I really kind of got to a place where I was ready to share something that I'd been dealing with for a year and a half at that point. And that was that I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019, in January of 2019. So it's probably like a year and a half that I had just been very quiet about it. Um, dealing with it myself, going the alternative route, finding things that would work and did work. And, and then um, the pandemic hit everybody and <laughs> we all got locked in our houses and I could no longer get the alternative. And I, I hate the word alternative because I don't think it's the alternative. I think what conventional is doing is the alternative to fixing your body like from its core. But those are the words we use. So the, the natural path, I'll say integrative approach. Um, I was doing that and then when the pandemic hit, couldn't go, you know, the services were shut down like everything else. And so my, the tumor that was in my breast started growing and getting worse. And I got a little more concerned about my ability to survive it. 
And so I said, okay, well, then that means let's go get some more tools on this, right? And I went to Arizona for about 16 weeks to an integrative um, center where they really, it was like being on Star Trek. The kind of stuff they did was just unbelievable. When you, when you just go the conventional route and you just do that path, right? You really do miss, and I would have missed, all the other stuff that's out there that's available for you to do that can be helpful. Um, that doesn't destroy your immune system, that doesn't, you know, tear your body down to the point that you can't really fight off anything else. Um, and I know that's not everybody's experience with the big chemos and the, the radiation, but the majority of people that I know, although some have been successful, some have really been damaged by it as well. And I saw this variety of outcome and really wanted to choose for myself something that I knew I could live with and that I could have better control over and that I could, um, involve myself in the help with, right? Like I knew there were things I could do to help my body. And I wanted to do those things first. So a lot of what I did in Arizona were um, IV, I was on six to seven hours of IV a day, some days. And they did something called cryoablation on my breast where they freeze all the cancer cells in the tumor. Um, and as they're thawing, cancer cells die. Like there's so many creative ways to attack cancer these days. And I wanted to do some of those, right? And um, I did, I did 16 weeks there. I'm so grateful for the support I got to get through that um, and, and really to cover it. I mean, it's an expensive route to go, right? When you're not covered by insurance because insurance is like, we don't touch that. And you're out of state. Mm -mm. And so it was like, what are I gonna do? So I'm so grateful that, um, I was able to, to go get the help I needed and the treatment I needed. And, you know, so far, so good. I, I think the way that I've handled it without having the mastectomy they told me to have, without doing the full chemo and radiation they, they thought I should do, I think the way that I chose to do it means that it's a slower path out, right? But, I mean, just like my the, the weight that I gained being pregnant, it took me 10 months to get 211 pounds. When I started losing weight again, that's the weight I was at. But I can't expect that to go away in three weeks. You know, like it came onto my body over a certain amount of time and it may take that amount of time to get it off. And that's the way I thought about it when it came to the breast cancer too. It was like, it took years for this tumor to get this big. It's not going away overnight. Let me work at it. Let me chip away at it. Let me do what I can do to, to break down. You know what I mean? Because that's how the body works. The body works slowly sometimes and especially when it's healing. Now in the beginning, you were reluctant to go for a mammogram, correct? Or yeah, I... um. I'm still reluctant to go for mammograms, but so, so what I, I don't need to change I, had to go, I have to go to PET scans now. So yeah, what, what made job. you change your mind and actually go get one? Uh, no, for the record, I've never had a mammogram because I skipped right over them. The reason I shared what I shared in October is because I knew that I could have made my experience way easier had I found the tumor earlier and I could have done that with a mammogram. I refused mammograms because I saw my mom get them for the 30 years that she got them for just like she was told to do. And she still ended up with breast cancer. And I was like, well, well, what's the point of that? You know? And I looked at the amount of radiation that you're exposed to in mammograms and said, uh, we know radiation leads to cancer in the body. So what if that caused it? And I developed this whole idea in my mind that isn't completely wrong, but is counterproductive when it comes to being able to have early detection and benefit from that, right? Um, and, and because of the way I thought about uh, radiation and mammograms and the outcome, I didn't give my, myself the <clears throat> excuse me benefit of being able to benefit from a mammogram. And by the time we found or I found my tumor, 
I jumped right over mammograms and went right to a PET scan, which is like 30 or 60 times the amount of radiation is a mammogram. So I really could have saved myself a lot of radiation if that's what I was trying to avoid. And just, you know, I didn't get it. And now I do. And I wanted other women to understand it. So they didn't make the same mistake. And that's really why I shared it. It wasn't to put everybody in my business. Most of y'all who have ever watched me know I'm pretty private. You don't know about my life for me. You might've heard rumors, gossip, but I don't talk about my own, you know, private stuff. And I did in this instance, because I felt like it was vital for women who were stubborn like me to see what I was going through and to avoid it. Sometimes you're a, a, a lesson in what not to do, you know, and, and I wanted to serve as that as I could. Why is choosing the right doctor important? Because you want someone who aligns with your ideas and beliefs and the path that you want to take so that they can support you and so that you're not constantly fighting a doctor. I mean, I have fought a lot of doctors. And when I finally found a group of doctors that thought like me, it made everything simpler. They understood my language. It's literally like speaking a different language when you when you disagree with your doctor. And I remember when I um, was pregnant and was going for like the very first ultrasound I did, and I only did like two or three because I believe that they're invasive to the baby. But I I was doing the first one. I was like seven weeks pregnant, and I said to her, my myself and my my son's dad, um, I said, so we're going to do a home birth, and can you know, can you do that? Would, could you come to the house or how does, how would that even work? And she was like, you're doing what? She closed her notebook and walked out of the room before we could even finish the conversation. It was so shocking to me. And it made me so aware that doctors have to do things a certain way for their own benefit. Like doctors are amazing people who've committed themselves to learning what they need to learn so they can help us. Right. And it, depending on how you want to do things, you have to find the right doctor for what you want to do because they're not all trained the same way. They don't all think the same way. They're individual human beings like everybody else and there's variety, right? So you need to find someone who is on the same page as you so you can have the experience you want. And that's what I had to do with my pregnancy and that's what I had to do with fighting cancer. What was the biggest thing that you learned from this experience as, as far as your lifestyle having to change? Oh man, I've learned so much about how the human body works and what not to do. I was doing so much wrong. That's what I learned. I really felt like I was healthy and that the little, you know, kind of veering off the path of health that I did with the donuts or the this or the that wasn't that big of a deal. I also underestimated what a huge role stress plays in your life and in your body when it comes to being healthy or not. It isn't all about what we're feeding ourselves in terms of food. It's also about what we're feeding ourselves in terms of energy, not just ours, but that of the people around us, how we're letting people treat us, how we're treating ourselves, you know, how angry we're letting ourselves get over things. Are those things worth it? All the, the energy and the emotions and the stress that we allow ourselves to deal with or put out into the world, it all matters. And I definitely was taking the, those things for granted and, and underestimating the effect that they could have on my body. So I think, you know, and when you study it, cancer happens from a variety of different angles, right? It's not like one thing that causes it. Only 5% of cancers are caused by genetics or uh, happen because of your genetics. So environment, is 90, 90, 95%, you know, what you eat, what you're exposed to, the toxins in our, in our, the chemicals in our environment. Now, all of those things 
are really what they're looking at now as coming together in these kind of perfect storms, right, of combinations that create cancers. I think that depending on where your own body's weakness is, that's where the cancer is going to settle. That's just my theory. Um, but for me uh, and my mom, it was the breast. And for a lot of women, it is because toxins and, and you know, nastiness, we'll call it, your body wants to put that somewhere safe. Well, fatty deposits are the safest place to put it. So that's why obesity is so uh, directly, or they're finding all these connections to cancer because your body stores toxins in fat. So if you have more fat on your body, the chances are that you have more toxins in your body, more of a chance that your body could be broken by some of these toxins or overwhelmed by some of these chemicals, right? So for women, all the fatty tissue, that's what our breasts are made out of, that would be the most logical place for your body to try to store something it's trying to set aside and not have affect the whole system. It's really an intelligent design and, and, and a smart thing for your body to do. Unfortunately, it backfires when it goes so far that it spreads to an organ and that's when it can be life-threatening. A tumor in your breast itself is not life-threatening. It's spreading to somewhere in your body where it can kill you is what threatens your life. Now, when that happens and you found out you were diagnosed, you had to tell the people in your life you know, some people that were close to you. How tough were those to, conversations? <laughs> you know, I was never in this place where like, oh my God, I have breast cancer, what's gonna happen? Like, I was never stressed out. I was never fearful. And I was, I was like, oh, for real? This is what we doing, body? Hold up. <laughs> let me, let me jump on this. I always felt more pro proactive about it. Um, and I understand it can be a scary thing. There have been times in the journey where I've been like, what the hell am I doing? This is crazy. I'm terrified, right? But the overall energy for me wasn't fearful. And so approaching people I love and care about with the information, I didn't come from a place of fear, so they couldn't come back at me with fear. You know what I mean? And, and at the same time saying that, they did, because it's a scary thing for most people. But it wasn't a conversation where I was freaking out. So I think you set the tone, right? Your energy sets the tone for what you're going to discuss. And my energy was like, listen, this is what's happening. This is what I'm about to do. You're going to see a whole lot of changes. You're going to don't offer me any of this stuff. Quit buying me donuts. Like, you know what I mean? I had to kind of, here's what I'm going to accept in terms of the interaction. And thank you. And if you don't want to be on board with this, that's okay too. But we probably won't talk that much for a while because this is what I'm going to be focused on. I really hit the ground running on um, the approach that I took and it was very involved. So I had to do, you know, everything. I wasn't able to go somewhere and have them juice for me. I guess I could have, but I wouldn't have known what was in the juices. And I was juicing things like onions and garlic and the like nastiest tasting, but most effective for fighting cancer cells um, stuff. So it was just a very different experience. And there are a few people in my life who were like, I get it, let's go. And then there are a few people in my life who were like, you're crazy and I'm gonna take a break. So you can't get caught up on how people are gonna to react to what you need to share. And you don't even have to get caught up on needing to share. I didn't share it with a lot of people because it seemed wrong for me to keep having conversations that were terrifying for them for no reason. Because what are they gonna do? How are they gonna help me? There's nothing they could do but worry. There's nothing they could do but stress out. And I wasn't willing to do that to people I care about. So, you know, I mean, like I said in that video from October, there are a lot of people who didn't know and were just finding out with everybody right then. And I felt badly about that, but I felt like I would have felt worse 
about stressing them out. And I know I would have felt worse for myself having to go through the stress myself all the time. Because one of the biggest things I was doing was reducing stress. That would have just created more. How are you feeling today? And how does your diagnosis currently stand? I feel great. I feel like all the changes and sacrifices I made have really paid off in my body. And I feel fantastic. I, you know, when I left um, Arizona um, back in December now, I, all my blood numbers had gone almost back down to normal. So we had made major progress in fighting down, like beating down the amount of cancer in my system, right? Um, but again, like I said, because of the way that I'm handling it, I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I'm like, oh, I'm completely, you know, all the cancer is gone. I think that's an illusion. And I think it's, it's not really safe to think that because for me, this is a lifelong lifestyle change that I have to um, adopt, right? And I have to continuously be doing that because cancer can always come back, right? And even people who've gone full chemo and done everything conventional told them to do, the cancer has come back for some of those people. And I think that's because of the systemic changes that the body needs to have made so it doesn't keep making cancer. Your body's making cancer, right? It's not some alien seed come dropped in you. Your body's doing that. So for me, it was important to figure out why is my body doing that? And how do I keep it from doing that? Because it's gonna keep doing it otherwise. So it's a constant process for me and I feel fantastic. Um, I feel like I look better than I've ever looked in my life. I feel like I'm in control of that now or before I was just depending on, you know, good genes and being young, you know, cause everybody look good at 22 when <laughs> you're young and you can lose weight easy and you pop and everything's easier, but now, in the 40s, you know, looking at the 50s, it's like, what do I need to do to maintain that? And so I feel empowered around my health now. I feel empowered around my life now. Like I'm doing it on purpose. I'm making this happen. I'm not just riding on a gift, you know, from my parents. <laughs> I'm, I'm forcing myself every day to make good decisions. I'm keeping myself accountable all the time. And I have a workout group now, Ananda by Fit, that also is keeping me accountable. And so my goal with Ananda by Fit is to bring together women. It's a, a workout program for women. And we do this, um, this workout that really causes your hormones to work for you instead of against you. It's a really smart manipulation of what your body's going through. If, like anything after 35 for most women and your hormones start to kind of get wonky and it, and it gets everything back together. But we're doing it as a group in a community. I have amazing women who have joined me to do this. And we, you know, we're, we're all holding each other accountable. So this idea that you have to be in the gym for an hour and a half a day or, or really, really work hard and make your body work. That's a, that's false. I mean, if you have certain goals, like you're a bodybuilder and you want to do competitions. Yeah, that, that might be true. I don't know. I haven't done that, but if you're just a woman who wants to maximize what your body can do and become your best you and really look and feel your best, this is the kind of workout for you. We only work out 15 minutes a day, three times a week, because that's all it really takes if you're working out right. And people are already seeing really, really cool shifts in their body. I mean, even from inches lost, right? But also from your health increasing, which is really where real health comes from. It's from the inside out. And that's what we're doing. So I'm super grateful for cancer in a very weird way because it sent me on a path that I never would have gone down otherwise, right? I never would have taken my health this seriously. I never would have been like shaken awake. You know, it, cancer comes and it's an invitation to change. That's what my best friend who also deal, dealt with it always says. She's like, cancer is an invitation to change. 
because something is not going right and you're in control of it and you can change it. What message do you have for all the women watching today and the men who have women in their lives? Be kind to yourself, be gentle on yourself. I think women walk the hardest path on the planet. And that is true no matter where you find women. We're the ones making the children and typically raising them. If the relationship doesn't work out, those children are still ours. And we're usually the ones who are dealing with them and with them and, and creating the new generation of people. And we need a break. We need the village to support us through this massive undertaking of motherhood um, and womanhood in general, even if you're not a mother, you know, what you deal with as a woman in all societies, uh, the, the remaining inequalities, the um, hell, the monthly pain and shifting, the, the hormone shifts we got to deal with and maintain our sanity and not be out here like popping off on people constantly. You have no idea the level of self-control. It's crazy. I mean, really, we should all be getting awards every month. <laughs> and not to say that your path as men isn't difficult too. I know it is, but listen, you have no idea what we deal with in these, in these bodies, in these female bodies. And um, I just feel like women need to know that it's okay to take a break and it's okay not to be strong and it's okay to just take care of yourself sometimes because when you don't take care of yourself, all the people that depend on you, you won't be able to take care of them either. And I learned that lesson the hard way. You know, I prioritize motherhood over myself. I prioritize my relationship over myself. I prioritize taking care of the people in my life over myself. And when my body broke down, it was time for me to say, hey, everybody needs to back up. It's time for me to take care of me. And it shouldn't take cancer for you to do that honestly like now i'm like oh no no no! i need a break and i'm about to go take one and everybody's gonna figure out their own stuff for a minute how about that and i feel great about that now i used to feel guilty even thinking about doing that and now i feel like listen if you can't get down with it there's the exits right i'm gonna take care of me and i'm gonna treat myself kindly and that's gonna be the bar and if you go below that bar that's the exits again these exes are going to be a common theme in your life. So yeah, set the, set the tone for people on how to treat you by treating yourself the way you want to be treated. Okay. And now it's time to play the lightning round. So we're going to do a supersized deluxe edition, 90s music edition. Oh no, I'm, I'm going to fail. You, I don't remember it. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to name best. you two best. artists and you tell me which one you prefer. Oh no. And, oh, I, and I've got, favorite. oh my God, I've got a super duper list here for you because we're going to have lots of fun throwing okay. back some of these names and groups. Okay. First one, Sugar Ray or Smash Mouth? Oh, Sugar Ray. I love them. But Smash Mouth was dope too. Destiny's Sugar. Child or In Vogue? Oh God. Oh, Destiny's Child. Backstreet Boys or In Sync? Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> in sync. Kid Rock or Limp Biscuit? Limp Biscuit. Madonna or Janet Jackson? Dang! <laughs> Mike! I, I've got, they're tough. I don't even know how you can answer them. I'm lucky I'm not Madonna's, on the side. I just, oh my God, it reminds me of my Madonna moment. I don't remember whose penthouse we were in, but I laid my, I gave everybody gum. I always had like gum with me for some reason. And she was like, you have gum. And I had gum. 
And I laid my head on Madonna's lap and she was just like stroking my head. <laughs> and I almost fell asleep. And who, oh my God, who was the other woman who was there? It was like a room full of people, but oh, I can't remember the woman's name. It's really cool actress. Anyway, that was my Madonna moment. Oh my God, I forgot all about that. So I would choose Madonna, but I love Janet too much. I got to choose Janet. Alanis Morissette or Joan Osborne? Alanis, I don't care who else you say. <laughs> That's Alanis. Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera? Oh man, Christina for the voice. Jessica Simpson or Mandy Moore? I love Mandy. They're both so cool. Jess I'm going to choose Jessica. Mandy's so cool too. I worked with her. TLC or Salt and Pepper? Oh, now that one I can't choose. Those are all my girls. Um, nah, Chili's my girl. Okay, TLC. 98 degrees or five? 98 degrees. Spice Girls or All Saints? <laughs> Spice Girls. Eminem or Dr. Dre? Oh, God, no, I'm not going to do it. My favorite karaoke song is Forgot About Dre, and it's both of them. So I'm doing a tie on that one. I can't choose. And, and I did introduce Forgot About Dre on TRL Weekend. Another fun fact. <laughs> fun. fun. I got that footage saved. Jordan nice. Knight or Joey McIntyre? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know. Joey McIntyre? Hoku or Coco Lee? Wait, say it again. Hoku or Coco Lee? I uh, actually don't know either one of them. So Hoku don't did another know. dumb blonde? Huh? Ho Hoku sang another dumb blonde? Oh, yeah, I don't remember that. And Coco Lee, oh my gosh, now this is embarrassing. Coco Lee, what did she sing? I forgot the name of the song. What, was that while I was at MTV? Yeah. What year? That, that, oh my gosh. Um, it was, I think it was in the movie. She also had a uh, song in the movie Snow Day. But I honestly don't remember. Oh, I remember it. Snow Day. Yeah. No, I think I had just left around that time though. Okay. Uh, the big one. I don't know if you can answer this one. Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston? Oh, uh, no, ain't gonna do it. I'm not okay. gonna do it. I love I'm gonna give you a pass on this one. I need a duet. Actually, they did a song. They did, do, they did When You Believe, the Prince of That's Egypt. That's right. Cece Peniston or Shanice? Oh, I love Shanice. I'm picky Shanice. That's my girl. Jamiroquai or Fatboy Slim? Oh, 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 oh. <sighs> Jamiroquai. That's Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Ooh, that used to be my song. Okay, I'm going to go Jamiroquai. Oh, Fatboy Slim, though. That's, this <laughs> is why you're Merchant. not supposed to do favorites. Everybody's dope. Natalie Merchant or 10,000 Maniacs? Ooh. Natalie Merchant. SWV or Escape? Oh, come on. <laughs> not the verses. I, I'm not picking, I, I don't, SWV got some songs, boy. <laughs> I'm going uh, to pick SWV. Okay. That's, that's too hard. That's not even right. Good, good Charlotte or Blink-182? The, the what? Good, good Charlotte or Blink-182? Blink-182. I like Good Charlotte too, but Blink-182 has some good ones. She Moves or Soap? Soap. Ace of Base or Real McCoy? Ace of Base. Peach Union or Los Del Rio? Don't know either one of them. So Los Del Rio was the Macarena. Oh, I do the song, but not the people. Yep. And Peach Union had this one hit song called On My Own. 
I'm gonna go for Macarena just because it was such an awesome like phenomenon. <laughs> yep. Bewitched or Youngstown? <sighs> Bewitched. Gina G or Billy Piper? Ooh, don't know them either. Uh, Gina G did Ooh Odd just a little bit. And- Okay, I do know the song. Yep, and Billy Piper did She Wants You and a couple other songs from the UK. Uh, I'll choose the first one. Okay, <laughs> LFO or O-Town? Oh, um, O-Town. Jennifer Lopez or Ricky Martin? Oh, Jennifer, girl. And then I love Ricky Martin too, though. What a phenomenon he was. Then the biggest song of that whole era that you can think of, of that late 90s, early 2000s. The biggest, do you, um, do you remember how many hits? Wait, what? Yeah. You asking me to pick the biggest song? No, no, I'm going to give you three choices. Oh, I'm going to okay. make you choose. <laughs> Listening is fundamental. Okay, go ahead. Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. Or Bye 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 by NSYNC. <sighs> I have to give that to Britney. That was a monster, monster hit. And you know, the and first before time- before the other ones, I think. Yep, the first time I saw that on TRL, I turned to my friends and said, she's going to be a huge star. Yeah, wait, well, yeah. We all, and when yeah. I saw that video. You ain't blind. <laughs> yep. Okay, thank you so Britney. much for being here today, Ananda. I loved having you. So nice to hang out with you, Mike. This was cool. Thank you. <laughs> can you tell everybody if they want to follow you and know what you're up to, how they can reach out to you? Yeah. Um, Instagram is really my best social media. I use it the best. I use it the most. Um, and my IG handle is I'm Ananda Lewis. I'm like, I am, but I'm the apostrophe with no apostrophe. I'm Ananda Lewis. And on there, you'll find in my link tree, a link to my app. You can also look through my app. You'd love looking through the app, Mike, because there's all these pictures from that whole era everything we talked about today of the stuff that I had like private photographers following me like a lot of them are just my pictures no one's ever seen there's a lot of nostalgia in the vault on there and then there's this also fun stuff like fan mail flashback all the mail that I got at MTV I was there for years and years and they stopped giving me my mail after a certain amount of time really early on and so there were 11 boxes of fan mail that they handed me when I left and I never gotten to open it so I'm finally opening all that fan mail on the on the elixir app so yeah if you go on Instagram you'll be able to find all the other ways to connect with me and something that we didn't talk about that I just thought of right now is we're talking about fan mail in that time frame remember which people don't know because like I said back in the day it was a different time when you went into yeah. MTV you you had to give them your cell phone they confiscated you your phone back then. So you can Oh, even I didn't know pictures. that. So you couldn't really. Yes, but the fans. Wait, we phones weren't taking pictures back then. The, on the um, flip phones. Oh, that. If okay. you had so a flip phone with a camera, they took it. And you wow. weren't allowed into the studio with it. So if, if there was a moment, let's say, where somebody wanted to capture it on film back then, just like how they do now, you can't do, do that. That was impossible back then. Yep. And now they encourage it. They're like, ooh, post it here. Yeah, now, now they're like, post it. But back then we could not go into that studio. Because I remember they would take your cell phone, put it in a bag, and then after you leave, give it to you. I did not know that. That's yep. crazy. <laughs> so thank you again so much for joining us here today. You're welcome, and I, I had a blast. Nice reminiscing with you. Yep. Thank you guys for watching. And we'll talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.